Evening or yesterday afternoon, I spent some time um, at my mom's house. Um, I lost my mom late last year, and uh, we were having to do some cleanup work. And um, I was dumb, and so late last night, I started going through stuff and pictures and um, uh, just grieving a little bit. And it just came out of nowhere. I'm okay, and then I'm not okay. Um, you know, it's days like that when we need to be reminded. Um, of who our God is and the confidence that we have in Him um, because um, there's nothing that can help me um, in the flesh, um, but it's who He is. And when we sing those songs, that we sang those words that my confidence, this is my confidence, um, I pray that everyone in this room has a confidence in a God that is bigger than yourself because I need that. I needed to cling to Him in those moments. So if you don't know that, if you don't have that confidence this morning, as we open up God's Word here in a moment, as we've sung, I pray that the Spirit of God would minister to your heart, would remind you, would give you that confidence, because it's the only confidence that will sustain you. I have found I will, as I was last night, head down on my desk, tears flowing, weak, under the weight of the brokenness of this world. And it's only my confidence in Him. It's only Him who can lift my head in those days. So let's pray that that would be true for all of us. God, we thank You for um, this time that You've given us to gather, um, to worship You, to be reminded of who You are when the world has yelled into our hearts and minds and ears all of the lies and all of the things that would take us away from from who you are and take us away from having confidence in you. Um, The pain of this this life and just the brokenness that we experience. Um, Like me, I I can only imagine my brothers and sisters have just taken body blow after body blow this week. And so what a joy it is to be able to gather with the saints, to come together in this place and to be reminded of who you are, to, be, be, um, to, to allow some of our confidence to return that you're God and that you're sovereign and that we can trust you. So I pray right now for every soul in this room that has dealt with the, the pain and the hurts just the the toil, even the hardship of work and laboring in this life. Um, Lord, I pray that we would just be humbled and just come before you thirsty and hungry to hear from you today. And Holy Spirit, would you, um, as your word promises us, set a table before us. Let us taste and see that you are good, God. I pray that for everyone in this room. I pray as we um, read about Daniel, read a familiar story to many of us, that you would teach us and instruct us, and you wouldn't let the familiarity or just this to be a a habit that we are following through, but Lord, let us recognize the gift that this day is, 
the gift that this time is, the gift that these brothers and sisters that surround us that are sitting to the, our left and our right are to us. Would we just be reminded to never take for granted the great gift that you've given us by allowing us to be here today. We ask that you would use this time that you created, that you set apart for us to be here in a powerful and mighty way. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have because of you. We pray that that hope would shine through in season and out of season so that the world might know of a God who is great and who loves well. We love you. Pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, once again, good morning. It is so uh, good to be here with you. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Parks Church, and I was able to uh, at least have a chance to greet a few of you that I did not recognize and had uh, met before. And in case I did not meet you already, I'd love an opportunity to do that. Um, uh, sometimes I, I, I say this, and there's always at least one, um, you know, that, that, that is obedient in the, in the room, that if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love for you to come down front after the service. I and our elders will kind of be spaced out around the front. We'd love a chance to just say hello, and if we can pray for you, that's a great place for you to come. Um, we'd love to, to do that. So just know that I'll ask you to do that at the end of the service, but I'm telling you now so you can even begin to prep your bravery to come forward. Um, and, and no one will be watching you, by the way, because everybody else will be tearing down all this other stuff. So um, great to be here. I want to, uh, before we dive into Daniel chapter 6, I want to just give you uh, or highlight a few um, uh, announcement type things. And <clears throat> the, uh, the first thing is I want to echo uh, uh, the announcement from our ladies that just... Uh, such a great opportunity. I want to encourage you uh, men. Uh, if you are able um, to encourage your wives, send them out the door next Sunday. Um, that's one of the great things that the church provides is just opportunity and space for us to connect. And so, um, guys, we had a great time this past Thursday doing that. And um, we'll have other opportunities, men, if you miss that. But uh, send your wives out. Allow them to have that opportunity um, on uh, next Sunday evening. Um, the second is that you did see on your, your chairs, and I'm sure this is a new card. And so for those of you that have been with us for a while, you're like, oh, it's a different different color. It's not something white on my chair. Um, we did that on a purpose so it would stand out to you a little bit, uh, but I do want to just sort of make you aware of what this is, and we announced this for the last couple of weeks, but invite you to uh, be a part of it. Um, if you're new with us, um, you're exempt from the labor that is connected to this, but we want to invite you to be a part. So next, uh, next Saturday, March the 30th, will mark our five-year anniversary as the church uh, planted here in Melissa. And um, so we we want to celebrate all that God has done, and we will have a great celebration on Sunday morning, but um, what uh, better thing for us to do is we have said from the beginning that we're a community of people that God has brought together in this place to love our city because of who Jesus is. That's our vision. That's why we are here. And so if we're going to love our city and we're going to celebrate our anniversary and all that God has done, there's not a better way for us to celebrate what God has done in our lives than to love our community and to give back. And so we are going to serve our community at one table. And um, this is a, an event for the whole city. Next Saturday at 11:30 at the City Hall Park, um, there's uh, you've, we've we've done our outdoor service at the pavilion there at City Hall, and so between the City Hall building and that pavilion, there will be set up one singular table, uh, prepared to seat hundreds of people, 
And at 11.30, we will serve a meal and ask the whole city to come out and allow us to bless them and serve them. And so um, uh, I'm really uh, excited about this. Um, this is uh, personally something that just sort of I dreamed up, which I often do these things. If you know me a little bit, our team definitely understands that Ryan will periodically dream things up, and then it's on everyone to execute upon that and help us help me to accomplish that, that dream. Um, but our team is ready and excited to be a part of this, and we want to invite you. So again, if uh, for all of uh, you that consider the Parks Church your home, your faith family, we would ask that you would join us in being a part of serving with us. And so there's two things that you can do. Um, right after this service, Paul Freeland, our Connections Minister, he will be in the back. And Paul is sort of organizing all of our teams that are going to need to be there in terms of setting up some early in the morning, those serving and at helping people get seated at the table, setting out some of the food and those types of things. And so if you'd be willing uh, to uh, help with that, we, would, we need as many as we can get. And so we just ask that you would uh, j uh, go connect with Paul. He will link with you and help you kind of find uh, uh, your, your, where you could serve and your gift in that. Um, additionally, um, if you would like to help um, in some of the um the beautification of this event, uh, decorations and the like, on Thursday evening at 7 p.m., um, there will be some folks gathering at Whitney Cox's home to help kind of get all of those things in order, all the things that we'll set out at the table. And so she will also be at the back, um, at, uh, and so you can connect with her and get her address. And you know, so if you want to help out in uh, just prepping some of those things on Thursday evening, um, then you can do that and uh, join in. So uh, if you're a guest with us, um, you got a a little bit of like a peek behind the curtain, like we, you weren't supposed to know about this, no. Uh, but we want to invite you just to attend, all right? So just show up next th uh, Saturday uh, at 11.30 and uh, join us for a meal. We would be so honored if you would be there. So you have these cards on your chairs, and here's the, the last task that I would give you. Um, please take every single one of these cards and take them to your neighbors and invite them. If you don't know your neighbors, what better way to get to know your neighbors than just go to them and say, hey, I'd like to invite you. I'm providing lunch for you next Saturday. Would you be willing to come and join me for lunch? And so take these invitations and pass them out. There's a few on every seat. If you think you've got 10 neighbors that you could pass out to, go grab. There'll be some left. There'll be some slacker that only takes one, I promise. And so um, you can go and grab a couple others and, uh, and, and pick those up up and pass them out. Invite your friends and neighbors. We really do desire that the whole city uh, would come together and, as the invitation says, experience a unity that um, doesn't often happen. So that is uh, that announcement. With that, we dive in uh, to Daniel chapter 6. And we finished, uh, we've been working our way through the book of Daniel, as is uh, our habit here at the Parks Church. If you're new with us, we just typically are working our way through books of the Bible. And so uh, we are in chapter 6. And at the end of last week, we saw Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, who had been uh, set up as king, but had very quickly forgotten all of the lessons that his father had learned. He has this party. He is, uses all of the, uh, the temple items as, in a sacrilegious way uh, during a big party that he throws. And so this hand comes and writes on the wall in the midst of his party, and he can't find anyone like his father that could interpret it other than Daniel. And so Daniel is called in. The queen says, this guy helped your dad so he can help you. And so the writing is on the wall, and Daniel interprets this and says, you, like your father, because you 
forgot everything that he taught you, you also will lose your kingdom. And we didn't read this at the very end last week, but this is the fulfillment of the interpretation that um, Daniel promised to Belshazzar and what ultimately God promised to him through Daniel. In verse 29 of chapter 5, it says, Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him. Remember, Belshazzar had made this proclamation or this promise that if you could interpret the writing on the wall, all of these accolades and these gifts would be given to you. Daniel didn't really care about the gifts. He said, I don't need those. You can pass those along to somebody else. But Belshazzar, being a man of his word, followed through on the commitment that he made. Hey, Daniel, you could interpret. You were able to tell tell me what the writing on the wall meant. Yes, I know it just says that I'm going to lose my kingdom and I'm ultimately going to die, but I'm going to at least do my part here and give you all the gifts. And then, immediately following... And a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. Verse 30, that very night, that evening, after all of this has taken place, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And so as we talked about in in these first five chapters of Daniel, as we've seen this story of God working its way through God's sovereignty, His power, His authority over kings and kingdoms is on full display. He allows Nebuchadnezzar to come in and take over, take over Israel, take all of the uh, Israelites into exile in Babylon. He allows him to have authority over them. He allows all of these things to take place, but ultimately he forgets that he's not God, and so God humbles him. And then his son takes over. He very even more rapidly forgets that he's not God, and he is taken down and killed. And so here now we have Darius, our third king that is ruling over Babylon. And then as Ashley read for us, Um, he sets up this sort of hierarchy of people. He divides the kingdom up amongst these satraps. And a satrap is just essentially a high official. And what Darius is doing is really just creating a little, a line of middle management. I don't... A line of middle management where he says, I just want to make sure that wasn't me. I thought I usually keep that on silent, but it rang close. And so he creates this line of middle management, these satraps that he says, okay, I'm over, I'm the king, but I need all of these people to sort of manage things and take care of everything for me. And it says that these high officials are put in place so that the king might suffer no loss. They're put there so that he can ensure he couldn't do it on his own. He's got enough kind of under, you know, kings, small little governors, satraps, authorities that can go around ensuring that he collects all the tax money that he wants to collect, that he has everything in order, everything's taking place according to the way that he would want it to take place. But, you know, we've, as we've worked our way through this book, we've been reminded that, that really this book is a, is a comfort to us as exiles, That's even our sort of subtitle of our our series, Daniel, Comfort for Exiles. And these people in this book, obviously Daniel and his friends are exiles, but as I try to continually remind us, for us to really grasp the uh, biggest picture of what God is teaching us, we have to also remember that we are exiles, that this is not our home, that this is not what we sort of set up all of our things to kind of work towards. I mentioned this a few moments ago that I was at my mom's house and I came face to face with the reality. Again, I've known this, but again, you just are reminded of these things periodically in life that she loved that house. I walked through and saw all of the pictures that I had hung, 
all of the little sayings of scripture that she had had made in these little cutout things that you kind of stick on the wall. She'd had me go through and put all those up. I'm wandering through and I'm seeing all of these things. I'm seeing every room that I painted for, all of this stuff, the flooring that I did for. She's not there. It's not her home. Hmm. Never was her home. And we work through this life trying to do all we can to create these comforts and create all of these situations to protect us because we forget that we are exiles. But if we are going to really grasp what God has to say to us, we must remember that we are exiles and there is a comfort for us. That comfort does not come in the things of this world. The comfort comes from only God. Our family was... um, I guess we reached a milestone this week, another milestone. Our uh, second born um, received his license. We have another driver. And as, I, as, as we're driving home from the, the DNV, I talked with my son about the, the magnitude of what he was taking on. I know he's excited. He gets to drive. He thinks there are all sorts of freedoms that now come. He's a little bit squirrely on that front. But I told him, I said, it's not that I don't trust you. Uh I'm not so worried about you. Because I taught you how to drive. There's nobody better to teach somebody to drive than me. (laughs) No, I'm worried about everybody else. You know, I don't trust all the other drivers. As exiles, what is it that we trust in? Where do you find, as we sang that song just moments ago, this is my confidence. What does your life testify to as your confidence? Is your confidence, do you put your trust in your bank accounts? Do you put your trust in your spouse? All of your confidence is wrapped up in what they do or don't do? Do you put your trust in your your company or your organization, whoever it is that you work for? The stability all that comes with that. Maybe you put your trust and your confidence in your friends, in the relationships that you have, those horizontal relationships, those people that you do life with. And all of your confidence is found there. Many of us, parents, our trust and our confidence, we put it in our kids. Not their ability to drive but their ability to satisfy all those longings that we have in our life that are somehow not met by other things. We put our trust and our confidence in their accomplishments, their batting averages, their grades, their friend groups, what social circles they swim in. Where is your trust? Where is your confidence found? You know, many of us are familiar with this chapter of the Bible, Daniel 6, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. If you grew up going to church, perhaps you'll just, you you could probably recite it. It's one of the Bible stories that's in all of the baby Bibles, right? So as soon as our kids are born, we're reading Daniel in the lion's den very early on. We're sort of ingrained in it if we have any sort of, any Christian sort of heritage in our lives. So rather than sort of working just immediately through as sometimes I do, I want to jump to the middle of this text to Daniel 6, verse 23. So Daniel, and we'll go back and we'll see all that happens to Daniel, but ultimately, Daniel, as many of you might know, is thrown into the lion's den. 
and he's unharmed. And the king comes to him and yells out and asks if Daniel has lived. And in verse 23, the king hearing Daniel's voice after spending a night with the lions, the king hears his voice, and this is what God's word says about the king. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him. In case you aren't aware of this story, he'd spent the night with a bunch of lions. Some of us have been to Kenya before, and you know how anxious they get us about us just getting out of the van when we go on that safari. He had spent the night in a den full of lions. He comes out unharmed, it says. No harm was found on him. And guess why? No harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. He had trusted in his God. Now, if I ask the question to many of us, if I probably went around the room, if you're here this morning, there might be one or two who would be honest enough to say no to this question. But if I ask most of us, do you trust in God? Do you believe in God? You would say, yes, of course. You wouldn't deny that. Again, there might be a few of you that would be bold enough and honest enough to say, no, I don't really. And by the way, I thank God for that. I praise God that you're here and that you just have an awareness of, of your own heart and mind to say, I don't really trust in God. I trust in all those things you just mentioned before. But I would ask those of us who would say, yes, I surely trust in God. I would ask you, is God, is your trust really in God? Do you really believe in the depth of your soul, that God is able to save you. Because notice what it says. God's Word is very clear. There was no harm found on him because he had trusted in his God. If you go back, this story sometimes parallels our story in Daniel chapter 3 where all of Daniel's friends are thrown into the fire pit. And they are unharmed. And so we kind of think unharmed, unharmed. But that situation was a little different. The king was very angry with those friends. He was trying to kill those friends. He, he wanted to see them tormented for their lack of willingness to worship him and fall down and, and worship his idol. That's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to have happen. Darius, this king, as we're going to go back and read in just a moment, he was, he, he, he was fearful for Daniel. He didn't really want Daniel to die. He, he liked Daniel because he had heard all the great things about Daniel. He had seen how he had lived his life. He wanted Daniel to live, and so he comes, and the reason that he was saved is because he trusted in his God. Where is your confidence? Is God really able to save you? See, Daniel teaches us there's this line of events that sort of take place, or a line of thought, I should say, not really events, that takes place because of this. See, Daniel believed and trusted in his God to save him. And that's the reason that he lived his life the way he did. So often, as Brother Pat instructed our men this week at our men's dinner, we try to get our actions right without understanding the source of our actions. We try to just correct everything because in this world, as long as we sort of look upright and have at least a little bit of proper behavior, we won't have too many things go wrong. Things will generally go sort of okay for you. But that won't save you. Being okay, as Geico tells us, is not really that great. It's not okay to just, it is okay to not be okay in this church, but in the Geico world, it's, you know, you don't want just okay. 
I confused some of you there. We'll have to just watch a little basketball this afternoon and we'll all catch up. But no, Daniel believed and trusted in his God, and because of that, that led to a life that looked in such a way. There was an aspect of Daniel that Darius, this new king, this all-powerful, sovereign king, respected and honored Daniel because of the life that he led. And guess what? That life that he led was a life of worship and obedience. See, the reason I would tell you that you put your confidence, that we put our confidence in all those things that I listed above, our children, our wealth, our position, our friend group, on and on I might go. I couldn't fill in the blank for every single one of you, but you know what it is. You know when that thing sort of gets messed up, how it wrecks you. When that friend doesn't respond the way you want them to, when your spouse doesn't do the thing that you'd want them to do, when your boss says the thing that he shouldn't say, when this or that, all of those things that might happen to you, that's when your confidence is wrecked and you wonder, is anything going right? So whatever that might be, the reason that we do those is because we don't really trust and believe that God is able to save us. We have doubts about that. And so I pray this morning that whatever those things are that you might fill in the blank with, they would be taken down and you'd be reminded that God is able to save and he has made a way for your salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. We are people in exile And as people in a foreign land, the small little g gods of this land, of this world, whisper in our ears and tell us all the different things that we need to do to be okay, to be saved, to be safe, to have peace. And we put our confidence and our trust, we listen to those things way too often. And we don't listen and we don't hear and we don't find our trust and our confidence in God alone. You know, it's only when you have total faith and trust in God that you will, one, be saved. You'll have the salvation that you desire. But it's also only when you trust and have total faith in God that you'll be freed from trying to find salvation in all of the ways of the world. I watch this world where it's from the news at the global and sort of broad level down to the Twitter feeds at the local level of many of our students and I see the need for salvation, the desire to find salvation in any place that we can possibly find it hoping that this might work, or this might work, or this might work. And we try, and we try, and we try, and those small G gods fail us, and they fail us, and they fail us, and we go on to the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one. And God is shouting to us and saying, when will you really trust and believe and find your confidence in me, in what I have done? Because when we do that, like Daniel, no harm will be found on us. Because we trust in our God. Now I know what you're thinking. No harm. I've faced a lot of harms. Pastor, you just testified about being head down on your desk weeping over the death of your mom. That sounds like a pretty harmful thing. It is true. And yet I stand here alive and well and with hope 
and with the ability to testify to the goodness of God in spite of those things. No harm has been done to me or my mom. I grieve her physical loss. I miss the things of that. But there is no harm that can be done to me because my confidence is in Him. And my confidence is in the work that He accomplished when He went to the cross. I'm speaking of our Savior Jesus. That's where my hope is found. So let's go back and look at all of the things, this confidence and this trust, that this belief that Daniel had that his God could save him. What did it look like? If we go back to the beginning, these officials, they understand that Daniel is in this high position, as Ashley read for us, and they're a little jealous of Daniel because they're supposed to be the positions of authority. They're supposed to sort of keep everything together. But Daniel is above them, and Daniel is an Israelite. He's a Jew. What's he doing in any sort of authority over me? Why would he have any power? And so they come to an agreement. In verse 6 it says, These are high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. Let us kiss up to you just a little bit. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, all of these people that have any authority or in any position have agreed that you should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." They understand, as as was read in verse 5, that they can't find any fault in Daniel. They can't do anything that's going to sort of speak against his character. And as we spoke about last week, let that be said of us. Just imagine if it was said of us that the only way we're going to trick them or kind of get them to stumble or find any fault in their character is we somehow weasel around the law of their God. If we try to make them do something that they know, that we know, their God would say, do not do. That's their only hope they find, is that they can sort of trick the king into making this a rule. And so he gives in because he's prideful and he thinks, yeah, that sounds good. I can make any law I want. And so, in verse 8, now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. So it was a rule that if any king said anything, if any law was established, it could not be changed. Once it was law, it was law forever, and there was no going back on it. So these people understood that they had to try and come up with something that would become, come between this king, the earthly king, and the true king. Even these people who did not know God understood that they had to try and get in between the God of the universe, the one true king and King Darius. But Daniel, it says, he understands this. In verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, when he understood, when he saw that this law had been signed into act, what does he do? Does he change his plans? Does he adjust? Does he have sort of some fear of King Darius or any fear of being thrown into the lion's den? Any fear of anything at all? No. It says, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. As he had done previously is really significant. When we face trials and when we face challenges, and I know I'm guilty of this as much as anyone, we run to God. We find that prayer closet really fast. 
We figure out what can I do in order to get God to help me in this situation. I'm facing a trial. I'm facing an uncertainty. I don't know. I recognize now that my confidence is really not in God. My confidence is in this other thing, whatever it might be. And in this moment where my confidence is shaken because of the conditions of this world, now I better run in and try and figure out how can I get God to help me. Students, it's that prayer right before you go take that test. Hadn't had much to do with God prior, but hey, I need his help right now because I was not in my prayer closet last night. I was doing something much different. So now I need him to help me. I wasn't studying. I wasn't doing what I needed to do. But notice it says, Daniel just continued upon the habit and the path of everything that he had done previously. Just like he had done before, before this law was passed, he went to his room, he got down on his knees, and he gave thanks to God. There was no law of man that was going to interfere with the law of God. Daniel had already decided that. And so, because his confidence was in God, he was not shaken away from the things that the people wanted him to do differently. We're going to be faced with more and more attacks, more and more persecution, more and more challenges to our faith. Brothers and sisters, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but things in this life are not going to get better. I don't care who is elected. I don't care what law is passed. I don't care what happens. Things are going to progressively get worse and worse and worse and worse for us as believers. That's the truth. That's the reality. We see it all around the world, and it's coming here where we've been protected from it a little bit in our country. It's coming home. Where is your confidence? when it's no longer protected for you to gather together with the saints on Sunday mornings? Where is your confidence when it's no longer protected that you're allowed to pray in public, allowed to speak God's Word in public? Where will those things be? It's because Daniel had already prepared it. His confidence was in God. His trust was in God that nothing that happened sort of on the horizontal playing field of life could impact him, could change him, could derail him away from who God had called him to be. You know, the decree that had trapped Daniel, it could not be changed. It had been passed. The rules of the day said there's no changing that. But guess what? We serve a God who is unchanging. He is over it all, as we've said. As God's Word has told us throughout these first five chapters of this book, God is sovereign over all of these things. And so Daniel just continues in the ways that he had done before, everything that he had done previously. And so, of course, these men that are trying to trap Daniel trying to see him killed and taken out of the way, sort of but removed as a in-between King Darius and themselves. They run to the king, and they say in verse 12, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The, key, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. 
Then they say, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition not just once, but makes his petition three times a day he's going to God. Three times, faithfully. And notice the reaction of the king. If we contrast, if you were with us as we saw Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar would have been enraged. He would have stood up from his desk and demanded that Daniel be immediately thrown into the lion's den. But this king, Darius, he has a different response. It says, when the king heard these words, in verse 14, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. He wanted to deliver Daniel from the law. He wanted to find another way out, some way around the demands of the law. And guess what he did? He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. He spent, he went to his house, and we don't know exactly what he did, but he tried to evidently probably examine all of the laws that had been written to find some out, some way around the law. But there was no way around the law. And so ultimately the king had to command, it says in verse 6, that Daniel be brought and cast into the den of lions. There is no way around the law, it says. There's no way around the law that sin must be atoned for, must be reconciled, must be dealt with. There's a reason that there is this chasm between God Almighty and us, human, us as men and women. It's because of our sin. It's the brokenness that we have heard about, that we testify to, that we see all around us. It's the brokenness even within our own hearts. That sin is real. And if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize it. We know that the things that we think we should do and the things that we desire to do, we fail to do over and over and over again. We're, not, we're unable to keep it. And the law of God says there's no way around this. God cannot just wipe away and just say, I don't look at your sin. He can't just say, no, this doesn't matter to me. No, there is no way around it. Jesus in the garden, as he is understanding that God's law is immovable, is unchanging, even more so than this human law ever would be. He wrestles with this in the garden to the point of, you know, sweating blood drops. And what does he end with? Father, not my will, but yours. He recognizes that there is no other way. There is no other path for him to do what God has called him to do other than going to the cross. See, the law of God is true, but God provided a path. God provided a way in the same way that he provided protection for Daniel here. God provided a way through Jesus. That sin that we all know is real in our lives, that we can't deny that we see come up, sort of bubbling up in our hearts and souls moment after moment, day after day, even as we try to maybe, maybe think of it less, that sin has to be dealt with. And it has been dealt with. It was dealt with when Jesus went to the cross. That's why we worship him. That's why we praise him, because we understand that in the same way, this king, he's wrestling and saying, I don't want Daniel to have to die. I like Daniel. He's a good man. He's served me well. He's, he's taken care of my kingdom. He's done all of the right things by me. He's clearly a man of, of character and integrity and all of those things, and yet he still has to die. Does that sound familiar? 
He's a man. He's a woman. She's a friend. She's this or that. All of these things. We're good. We're okay. I do this a little better than my neighbor does. Except We start stacking things up and trying to figure out, is there any way to God? And Jesus said, there is one way to the Father. That is through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus provided a way for us to be reconciled to God. Daniel, the king didn't want him to die. The king wrestled with what he was going to do and how to protect him, and ultimately he found there was no way around the law. He had to give in and send Daniel to his death. But notice what the king does in verse 18. Then the king, after sending Daniel to his death, the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. He's sleepless. And as soon as he wakes up in the morning, in verse 19, the king arose and went to haste, in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Do you notice that the king Darius is so aware of who Daniel is, so conscious of his activity, so aware of the way that he's lived his life? And Daniel, as we read earlier, shouts out to the king, Yes, I am fine. There's been no harm done to me because I trusted in my God. Do you trust that Jesus is able to save you? That law that there is no way around, that sin must be dealt with? Do you trust and believe that Jesus has done that? That when he went to the cross and laid down his life, was that enough? Brothers and sisters, I would... Just plead with you. Lay down all those lesser things. Lay down all of the desires that you're chasing after, those earthly desires that you think might save you, might be enough for you. And believe and trust that Jesus is enough. Find your confidence in Him and Him alone. Because this is the promise of Jesus. I'm going to read from Revelation 21. This is the future that He has promised us, that we have. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is God speaking. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be withstand, or excuse me, will withstand them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. All of the insecurities of your heart. All of those things that force you to run to these lesser gods. To put your hope and your confidence in the small things. God is saying to us, I have come, I have lived and died on the cross to, to reconcile you, to bring you to myself. And there is coming a day when all of the pains of this world will be completely and forever wiped away. Do you trust in that? Do you believe? I would plead with you to do so. To trust in God. To really believe that the salvation that He offers to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, is enough 
We don't have to keep chasing after the small gods of this world because we have a big God who loves us, who is sovereign over all, and accomplished our salvation that can only come from Him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You. I thank You for the confidence that I can have in You. Not a confidence that is found within myself, not confidence in my abilities or in my relationships, but confidence in you alone. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, again, just move over this place. And if there's anyone who is doubting, correct that, all of us who are doubting, who have fears, who have anxieties, I just, would you just remind us of who you are? Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you that it is you who hold our future. No matter what the lies that might be whispered in our ear, even this afternoon and into the rest of this week, help us to just remember and the grip that you have on our lives. I pray that like Daniel, we would be a people who have so much confidence and trust in who you are that nothing that this world says or does to us or says about us would change who we are in you, would change the confidence that we have, the trust, the hope that we have. And would we be a people who have so much hope that the world can't help but recognize? I pray that that would be true. We love you. We praise you. We do it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Every knee will bow, every eye will see. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.